Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 343 Podcast, where we work tirelessly to elevate the level of discourse and practitionership here in American soccer. I'm joined today once again by professional footballer and former youth player of Brian Clyburn, Taylor Davila. This time, he chose to have a chat about American soccer broadcasting or broadcasters. Are they doing a good job? Are they raising the collective soccer IQ of the audience, or are they doing more harm than good? As you might suspect, I had quite a few things to say about this. And per usual, and by design, Taylor did not give me any prior notice on what we'd be discussing. A critically important thing to appreciate here is that who you are listening to, who you are allowing in your brain, has a huge impact on shaping your worldview. This is something I can't emphasize enough. If you're a coach who cares about the success of your teams, your players, and yes, also your coaching career, it's important who you allow in your head. If you're a parent trying to guide your kids well in this area, it's important who you allow in your head. And if you're just a fan looking for some entertainment, a pastime, well, it's not as important, but I'm pretty sure you'd like to be a smart fan not a dumb one. Okay, I hope you gained some insight with this episode, and of course, as always, enjoy it. But first, if you're a coach or a parent, please take a brief moment to listen to what sponsors this episode. There are products and services that can really help you achieve your goals. Have you ever wondered why so many professional soccer players had a parent who was also a pro? Yes, yes, one can cite nepotism and the network that parent must also have. No question, that's part of it, no question. But the kid also had to be at least good enough to a certain base level. And that's also where a former pro or an exceptional mentor gives the kid an unfair advantage. Why? Well, because they know what it takes and what specific things are important when it comes to the technical, tactical, physical, and also critically important mental side of the equation. Meanwhile, Parents who don't have that background are stuck trying to navigate a complex system they aren't experts in, and also trying to navigate a flood of never-ending information online, most of which, by the way, is really bad information and really bad advice. Next thing you know, years and years have gone by of you investing countless hours trying to figure out what's actually going on and how to best guide your kid. And by the time you've figured out some important things, it's too late. Your kid is already pretty much done with soccer or too far behind to catch up. We've seen it happen to hundreds of players we've coached from eight years of age up to and including current professionals. Parents, you have a huge influence over whether your kid, quote unquote, fulfills their potential or not. That's why we developed the 343 Masterclass for you, the parents. The goal is to give you tools in one place so that you can substantially and relatively quickly close the gap with those parents who happen to have a lifetime of professional experience within this sport. Tools that help you far better discern truth, and forgive the French, from bullshit in the player development ecosystem. And tools that enable you to actually train your own kid as well, if you'd like to do that. Please, do your kids a favor. All it takes is going to 343masterclass.com getting on the email list, and we'll send you enrollment information. 
Now, for all you coaches out there, you can join over 1,000 of your colleagues by getting aboard the 343 Coaching Education Program. You can find both free and premium options for you at 343coaching.com. Lastly, if you're coaching 7v7, we've got you covered there as well. Go to 7v7coaching.com. Critically important, these solutions for coaches, for parents, for players, are offered from people who have actually done the work and have an unprecedented track record in the United States. All right, let's get into today's episode. I'm going to try not to talk shit on too many commentators today. I am definitely critical of a lot of the commentators in American media. But today I want to focus on the role they play in growing the sport of soccer. I want to focus on the role they play in educating the people who watch the sport and who inevitably listen to the things that they have to say. I believe, for me personally, I enjoy a sport more when I know what is going on. I can see plays that are happening. I can see why they're happening. And sure, if I'm totally clueless to a new game and something crazy happens out of the blue. The surprise factor definitely helps the excitement, but personally, I like to know what's going on. I like to learn about the tactics of the game, learn about the players of the game, why they do the things that they're doing and what they're good at. And I believe commentators play a huge role in helping the audience learn. I will agree with that for sure. You keep things lighthearted and positive, Taylor, and you let me do all the negative stuff because I agree with you, okay? One of the big roles that they fulfill is that, the role of education, the role of developing a fan base. Of course, that could be taken in a couple different directions. One direction is a good direction, and one direction is a bad direction. Good education versus bad education. And I think there is such a thing as good education and bad education. That's kind of how the level of sophistication of a particular audience is going to judge whether there's a good education being done or bad education being done, if that makes sense. Because if you're a brand new, say, soccer fan, let's just talk about soccer, and you're coming into the sport for the very first time, maybe your kids started playing it, but you never played it and you never associated with it, and you're listening to a commentator of an MLS game or a U.S. men's national team game or something, you have no foundation from which to judge whether what's being spoken is good stuff, bad stuff, accurate, inaccurate, no clue. And so what are you left to choose? You have no choice. You have to believe that this person is an authority in the game. That's why they presumably have the position that they have. And you believe what it is that they're telling you versus say somebody on the other end of the spectrum. Let's say Jose Mourinho is watching an MLS broadcast or a U.S. men's national team broadcast and the halftime show, the pregame, the postgame. I already know what I'm going to say, T. It's a completely different level of discernment there. My opinion is he'd sit there and all he can do is probably laugh at what's being said because he would judge in general the commenting as being completely ignorant of what's actually transpiring. And he would look at it more as a show that these people are just putting on an entertainment product and not really doing any educating at all. So that's my initial thoughts when you brought up this topic. I'm sure you do the same thing as Jose would. I 
do the same thing as well. I'm like, what are these guys talking about? These American soccer fans who are new to the game, they listen to these commentators, say a Taylor Twellman or a Stuart Holden, who have been the face of American soccer media for a while now. They have no way to discern whether this is a good education or a bad education, like you said. And this is the group of people who we need to be educating. Like you mentioned in the last podcast as well, a lot of people in the United States, the immigrants, the Latinos, the people from South America, the people from Europe, they already know what they're looking for. They already know what it is about the game to watch for and what they need to enjoy. And the people from the U.S., they don't really have that yet. They cheer for a yellow card. They cheer when these random things happen. And you're like, okay, why are you guys cheering? And it needs to be these commentators who are educating this group of people. I don't know how else they would learn it is kind of what I'm getting at. No, because we all are programmed, essentially. We're all kind of like computers, kind of like robots. Yeah, and we have our central processing unit or our GPUs are in our heads. Instead of electrical circuits with copper, we have neurons. And so how do we get programmed? Well, we have this nature versus nurture debate. If I'm focusing on the nurture side of the equation, it's what you're discussing. It's what do we consume? Whatever we consume, shape the way that we think. So it's what we read, what we watch, what we hear, yeah, or what we listen to. So from the broadcaster's perspective, we're opening up our audio receptors, and then their words are coming literally, literally coming into our brains and having our neurons fire a certain way as a consequence of what they are saying. You see, so you are letting somebody in your brain when you do this. So you have to be very careful to who you listen to, right? Because once you're wired a certain way repetitively over and over and over and over again, those pathways are solidified in a sense. So with respect to the American versus non-American broadcasts, because if you listen to a Spanish language broadcast, they talk about different things versus the English language broadcast. They emphasize different things. I'll give you an example. In the English language broadcast, generally speaking, they really, historically speaking, they would always pick on diving. Oh, diving is cheating, simulation, or you're exaggerating, or you're trying to influence the referee. All these things were negative, 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 negative. Like you're a terrible human being for doing this, for looking the other way when it's done, or heaven forbid, condoning it. And in the Spanish or Latino language broadcast, That's just not true. Generally speaking, it's more interpreted as one of these games within the game, right? One of these dark arts of condition the ref. Okay, you just gave us a yellow card. Hey, make sure you look at number five. And maybe there was a little bit of ref harassment because it was like three or four of the players surrounding the ref emphasizing that point. But you better believe that the next time number five commits any sort of ticky-tacky foul, The ref is preconditioned and may just throw out the yellow card just to kind of pacify the situation, have the game be a little bit more docile or more controlled. So this stuff is important, Taylor, especially if you want to try to win a game. You can't be a good, innocent little angel of a child and play football. You know this. You're a pro now. Okay. There's all kinds of shit going on inside of the field, all kinds of shit talking, all kinds of riffraffing, all kinds of stuff going on. You can't be the naive fool. And in English language broadcasts, they advocate being the naive little child. So that's just one example, yeah, of the difference in cultures when it comes to broadcasting and hence the difference in education. 
that people receive. Even if you look at the English commentators commenting in the Premier League, it's part of their culture. They don't appreciate when someone goes down easy. They love the hard tackle, you know, and they don't like the diving. So the culture that the commentators come from 100% has an influence on their perspective of the game. They rely on their culture. They rely on their upbringing. They rely on their experience of either playing the game or coaching the game to help them. And that brings up my next question. Who should be commentators? Who are the ideal commentators? I feel the ideal commentators are coaches. Players have played the game. They have listened to coaches. They have learned about many aspects of the game while they're playing. The 13 people who... MLS and Apple just hired to commentate on the MLS games this year. All 13 of them have had good playing careers, good solid professional playing careers. Not a single one of them has been a coach. In my opinion, coaches have experience educating the game to other people. They have experience talking about the game to other people. They know the aspects of the game probably a little bit better than players do. Some players are obviously smarter than others, but some players know what to do on the field just as instinct. They don't know why they're doing it. They don't know why it works. Coaches, they have to learn why it works. They have to know why specific people have to do specific jobs in certain areas. And they have a lot of experience educating people on these things. And that's why I feel personally that coaches are the best commentators. No, that's absolutely fascinating. I mentioned this in other contexts before with respect to who gets coaching jobs as well. Here sometimes a player just retires and then clubs will be like, okay, hey, you want to take over the first team? You want to coach now? A player who just finished playing, like you said, you have a different perspective. You're actually in the field and you don't see the whole thing evolving. The coaches do. Sir Alex Ferguson, famous Manchester United manager, of course, needs no introduction. He wasn't the one laying out cones. He had his assistant coaches laying out cones and talking to the players and setting up the drill and showing the players how to do the drill. Sir Alex Ferguson would remove himself, just like all high caliber coaches remove themselves. And you're just observing there. You're just observing the body language of every player. You're observing the touch of every single player. You're observing off the ball stuff of every single player trying to figure out what is going on with the entire team. A player themselves doesn't do that, right? They're, they're focused on, okay, checking my shoulder. I, I got to receive this way. This is going to be my next pass, or I have to make a run here. Or I have to track back over here. Very isolated and not a global view of everything. So all this rambling to say, wow, I did not know that not a single coach or former coach is on the MLS Apple broadcasting team. Real shame. And all this to say also that, yeah, I agree that players lack that feel for the game and you're just kind of making stuff up as you go along, right? You're trying to fill in a lot of silent time with nonsense and that's not education. No, it's not. And listening to American media talk during MLS games or U.S. national team games, I hear all the time about oh, this guy is working so hard. Good for him. Look at that sprint that he just made. I'm like, what does that have to do with the game? You know, the group that we talked about, the suburban culture group that we talked about, they're going to listen to that. They're going to see, oh, 
that's what makes a good player. That guy who sprints, this guy who works hard in this one instance, and that is not going to help elevate the level of soccer intelligence in the United States. If you want to comment on this as well, I don't believe the level of soccer intelligence in the United States is, you can't see it in our players who are on the field. I think it needs to be improved dramatically in coaches and players and in the country as a whole. The issue is, T, is that it's not only the fan that's watching a broadcast or listening. It's also like youth coaches, right? It's also coaches of every level. It's also club executives at every level that are just watching these broadcasts or listening to these sorts of things. And over the course of time, you kind of get brainwashed, for lack of a better word, about what is good versus what is not necessarily good. Because if Stu Holden is saying, oh, look how he tracked back, he waited no time to track back. He spotted the danger early or whatever. Great, Stu. Nice superficial thing that anybody off the street can also say, because I can see somebody running fast back on defense. Everybody sees somebody running back fast on defense. But these are the sorts of cultural influences that people then, coaches included, start repeating in their training grounds with their 10-year-olds or with their 15-year-olds or with their 19-year-olds or with their college team or with their semi-pro team, even their MLS team, because it's just a natural consequence. The other issue is, I get it, broadcasting probably has a lot of challenges in and of itself, right? You kind of also want to be highly entertaining or maximize the level of entertainment versus being there as a professor of soccer and saying, oh, look, la, 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 la. who wants to hear all of that? Who wants to have coaching analysis, deep coaching analysis going on when you're trying to enjoy, I don't know, Sebastian Legette, you know, as he runs up and down the field. Most people don't want to hear that. They just want the superficial bubblegum trash TV sort of stuff. So I get it. It's not easy, but I think what we should be doing is skewing a little bit more to the higher IQ intelligence sort of commenting. I think there's a lot of room to improve there, especially because my entire life I've listened to Spanish language broadcasts and the soccer IQ coming out of those broadcasters is relatively off the charts compared to their American counterparts. And that's not to say that those Spanish language broadcasters, quote unquote, know deep football, right? They have their tremendous fuck ups as well and lack of discernment as well. But relatively speaking, oh man, how much better off would our American soccer public be if we had the equivalent in the US? I think it would be way better. And I want to bring up the example of the NBA, who in the NBA playoffs, the two main color commentators have been Jeff Van Gundy and Stan Van Gundy, who if you don't know them, they played maybe like Division Three basketball growing up. They did not have a professional playing career, but they made their way into the NBA through coaching, and they had great coaching careers. Both of them were head coaches of multiple NBA teams, and these are the guys who are bringing the intellectual side of the game out. I had never played basketball. I've played basketball when I was six or seven. But listening to these guys watching the NBA playoffs and just listening to these guys, I can recognize, you know, if a team is playing a 2-3 zone or a box-in-one defense, you're running a pin down for a three-point shooter. Little aspects of the game that if I didn't learn from these guys what I was watching, I would have no way of recognizing that. So these are the guys who are bringing the intellectual side of the game 
And that's the role of a color commentator or match analysis, in my opinion, is to bring out this intellectual side of the game. And I think we can improve on that. And then the play-by-play announcer, I believe, should be the one who, like you said, brings out the excitement of the game. If someone scores a 30-yard banger, they're screaming like, oh, like, goal. You'll hear the Spanish commentators say, go, 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 go. Those are the commentators who should be bringing out the excitement of the game. And then the color commentators are there to add to that effect and bring out the intellectual side of the game. Oh, he took this 30-yard shot because the defender didn't step out. His teammate made a run to distract another defender, which gave him the space and the time to take this shot. So the two commentators should play their roles, I believe. And in MLS, I think we have good play-by-play announcers. John Champion, I think, is a good one. Guys who aren't necessarily educated in the game, but help bring out the excitement of it. But then where we need to improve are the color commentators who help add to the game with intellectual information. Got it, man. And the other thing that influences a lot, T, is if we're going to talk about the league, if we're going to talk about MLS, we can lump the national team in there as well with this. A lot of the broadcasters, the individuals I'm speaking to, are very seriously compromised in what they can and cannot say. They need to support the league and champion the league as much as possible. And they need to support the national team and champion the national team as much as possible. They need to be aligned with MLS, basically. And that hurts the commenting and that hurts the education because now you're limited insofar as what you can say. Even if you do know better, you might have criticisms of Bruce Arena. Not, I'm not talking about superficial, simple criticism. Oh, he should have played this player and not that player. Oh, it'd been better if he played some homegrowns and developed them. That, all that stuff is meaningless. Okay. I'm talking about hard nose, hardcore criticism. I picked Bruce Arena because they know the name. Okay. So it, this isn't necessarily directed at him. How is this guy even a coach? Like deep cut, super deep, super deep. And then explain why there is such a huge level of incompetence, let's say, in a particular coach, in a particular organization, franchise, in a particular executive or executives, in a particular player or a group of players. Deep, cut deep, go at them hard. And that is what the other countries actually do. But we don't do it in this country, in part, one, because of what we discussed, that maybe the commentators, they themselves, can't tell. They don't have discernment. They might be like, what are you talking about, Gary? Bruce Arena is like the best coach in American soccer history, right? And I'd roll my eyes, obviously. And then they would cite statistics, for instance. Oh, we'll look at his win percentage and look how many MLS trophies he's got and think that that's proof of something. It's not proof of jack shit. It only shows me that you actually don't know what the f- you're talking about when you start citing me statistics, okay? There's that. They may not know. And then there's part two, which it could be an and or an or that they are compromised. They simply cannot do this or they will get in serious trouble. They might lose their livelihood or they might be demoted or they're in in the doghouse and whatever that means with respect to their career and career advancement. So we have that element also hurting our game. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I feel the American media and U.S. soccer has been so concerned with growing the game that they're like, oh, we just need to get people in. We need to get people watching. We need to support as much as we can in order to compete with these other sports that are 
bigger and more popular in the U.S. But I think if we do get commentators or journalists or coaches who are critical to the point of, like you said, what is this guy doing? How does this guy have a job in MLS? How does Correct. This How does this guy have a job? What are we doing here? There's so many people that are far, far better, whether it be a franchise president, a technical director, a head coach, an assistant coach, a youth academy director. You have the financial, economic wherewithal and the attractiveness that is the United States and the attractiveness that is all these cities. And the marketplace for employees and talent is global, right? Why are you going for the guy who gets a D versus the guy who has an A or a B even in soccer school? What is this? Cutting deep. Hey, I want to mention something though, because you said growing the game. I think a lot of these commentators, broadcasters, reporters, journalists, they have taken it upon themselves or they tell themselves the following story that, well, I need to be this way and craft these positive narratives because I am partaking in growing the sport in this country. I can't be negative. I can't do these other sorts of things. It's misguided, Taylor. It is completely misguided. Is this a sport or is this, I don't know, are we developing pampers for children or something? It seems like they've missed the entire point of competition, of sport in a sense, satisfying our primal human genetics associated with tribal warfare even that is what sports is kind of simulating you have one tribe versus another tribe or you have one person versus another person in a one-on-one combat and that is why we are wired to enjoy these things for better or for worse right we have a visceral emotional response to physical competition right And so if you want to grow the game or grow the sport, first off, do this justice. So what they've accomplished to do, Taylor, in my opinion, is they have helped cultivate a culture of soft pussies. That is our soccer culture, because this is what's been broadcast out to the world. These are the types of stories that have been written for people to consume. These are the types of videos that were produce for people to consume soft, 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 not competition. It's okay. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody makes the playoffs. If you don't make the playoffs, it's always next year. We're in a rebuilding year anyways. Oh, you come in last place. No big deal. There's no relegation. So there's no consequences. It's all, everything's okay. It's fine. Did you see this past weekend? The galaxy lost once again. And some of the fans were kind of with a bullhorn saying some things to the players after post game to the players and the head coach and some of the players came over and they had a little chit chat with the fans, the fans saying, Oh, you got to do better. Right. And I guess the players were demonstrating, showing face, Hey, I'm here. I understand. I hear you, that sort of stuff, but it's soft T it's so soft. I don't know if you also caught the picture of the AC Milan ultras, right? It was like, 15 of them, right? The leaders, I suppose, of the ultras sitting right there on on the rail post game. And then all of the players sitting there kind of like in soldier attention sort of style, listening to the demands of the ultras or the opinions of the ultras. That was more of a serious sort of tone associated with it versus what we saw this weekend. They wanted to draw a parallel between the two and there's just no parallel guys. I'm not advocating for soccer gangs and violence. No, no. But heaven's sake, can we be a little bit more serious about our sport? We don't take it seriously. We've been so concerned with 
growing the numbers of the game that we've kind of just been accepting of everyone yeah come support us we'll make this a positive experience for you you're gonna come and have fun there's no seriousness at all i believe in sport you want to win and as well with just the levels of professional sport and as many levels as there are you want to be the best you can be you want to test yourself and push yourself to be the best you can be and there's nothing like that in this country there's no pushing to get to the top there's no pushing to stay consistently at the top or pushing to be better than players in another country we've just recently beaten mexico or a mexican team in the Concacaf champions league it's taken so long to get there because with this lack of seriousness it just goes so much slower than how it is in europe like with the ac milan ultras yelling and berating the players to do better because they knew they had a second leg Champions League game against Inter Milan. They knew that the way the team was playing was not going to be good enough to win. And they yeah. fans had to do everything they could and hold the standards as high as they could to help the team improve. And it ended up not winning anyways, but the team put on a much better performance Holding the standards so high and being so serious and your determination for improvement is going to make the process so much quicker. It makes your attitude so much better. And with this lack of seriousness in the country, the process is going to be slow, very, yeah. very slow. No, there's no accountability in Taylor. And again, since the topic is broadcasters that you brought up, they don't bring accountability or a culture of accountability either in what it is that they communicate to the general audience. And insofar as growing the game, sure, they have helped grow the game, but grow the game for that soft newbie to soccer audience. And that is their main audience, the soft newbie suburban. It's just a game sort of audience. The hardcore soccer culture in the United States, which is the majority of the soccer people in the United States, they are not welcomed in our, our league in MLS or with the U.S. men's national team. They are not welcomed, Taylor. The broadcasters in part are responsible for not welcoming them. So if indeed you wanted to grow the game and get the numbers and grow it for everybody and equality for everybody, wouldn't you also want to embrace the Latino culture, the European immigrant culture, the South American culture, the Mexican, Mexican American culture, which we all number in the millions here, Taylor, millions. When the Mexican national team comes to our country, the stadium is full, okay? And it's not mommy and daddy who just started watching soccer that's in the stadium. No. It's soccer first households that are in the stadium. When Colombia comes here, the stadium is full. When Peru comes here, the stadium is full. When Argentina comes here, the stadium is full. On and on and on. When the Premier League is on at five in the morning, it gets better ratings than our domestic league. There is a huge, huge market for soccer in our country, Taylor. It's just not welcomed, T. And the broadcasters don't make a welcoming environment for us the more demanding sort of audience. They don't want us to be anywhere near their product. Why? Because we would bring accountability to the product and we would bring, bring accountability to the broadcasters themselves. And we would bring accountability to the reporters and the journalists and all these people who work in the ecosystem that is American soccer. They want nothing to do with that or with us. They want the newbie soccer people 
in the game because then they're basically the authority for the newbie person. The newbie person can't tell that Stu Holden, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. They have no idea. They just see, oh, Stu Holden played in England and he's on the national team. He's a pro soccer player. This guy absolutely knows everything there is to know about football or certainly knows way more than I do. Yes. And so that is who they want. Or when they read an article from MLSsoccer.com, when they read an article from The Athletic or something, ooh, these reporters, oh, man, they write so well. Oh, man, they know their stuff. Oh, wow, they cited some statistics here. They know. That is what is wanted in our country. They don't want us, T. They don't want us. Their goal over the last 20 years has been to bring in this suburban culture group, these newbies, these guys that are new to soccer and they don't really know what they're talking about. And I can argue... You've accomplished your goal. There are a lot more people involved with soccer in that group than there have been in the last 20 years. We've grown the game. You've reached that group. Now it's time to grow the level of the game. Yeah. Now it's time to bring in your Latino group, the immigrant group, the people who are going to be critical because they're going to help raise the level. We've grown the numbers. We have the numbers. Now we need to include this other side of it that you've been blocking out because they will help improve the level of the game. Yeah, man. I, I think we need accountability. We need a true competition. We don't have a true competition yet. Competition is what improves things. You know, I was just having this conversation over breakfast with my girlfriend. Oh yeah, it was about, I teach at a university as well, kind of on the side. And I had to do something on the university website recently. And it's just a terrible website to navigate and to input data and to submit data and everything a web app is supposed to do, it's just shockingly bad. And I think the comment I made was something around, yeah, well, it's kind of like a government organization. It's a public university and they're not in competition with anybody. Are they like, oh man, we better improve our stuff here. Otherwise we're going to go out of business. No, that's, that's not happening. The universities are not going to go out of business. <laughs> You're always going to have an influx of students versus a traditional business that's in an open ecosystem, you have to compete or you're done, you're out. And in our soccer ecosystem, we don't have that accountability. They don't have to compete. There is no competition in any sense. To you could be at the bottom of the table and that franchise is gonna be there next year. And they could be the bottom of the table again and they're gonna be there next year. And as a matter of fact, it's kind of like the bar for success for their specific audience just gets lowered to the point where then that franchise can actually claim success. Ooh, look, we made the playoffs. Never mind. You made the playoffs barely, you know what I'm saying? Which means you're less than a 500 team. I, what is it? Nine out of the 15 teams make the playoffs. It's something ridiculous like that. You can be ninth place out of 15 teams and then claim your season was a success and your primary customer base, your primary demographic We'll be happy. Oh yeah. Great job, guys. Woo, this was exciting. That is not competition, T. That is not accountability. That is not forcing everybody to be the best that they can be. It just isn't, Taylor. And overseas, it's happening all the time and every week and every fixture. You cannot take a week off or you're in trouble. Some people say, oh yeah, but Gary, overseas, it's always the same two or three teams that win the title, but you're missing the point. You're missing the point. So what? Here, the heavyweight champion of the world in boxing, it's always the same one or two guys or three guys for like 15 years. 
in MMA, it's the same one or two or three guys who dominate their weight class. In golf, it's the same one or two or three or four guys who are always the candidates to win. What is your complaint exactly? Everybody has their own level due to their capabilities, right? And you just work to be the best that you can be. If you're at the top of the table, you're always competing for the league title. And it is a race between four or five or six teams. Let's say the Premier League, because everybody knows the Premier League, for instance. Okay, you got four or five aspiring and battling, battling, battling. And if you lose one match, whether it be on fixture day number one, the opening of the season, fixture day number four, fixture day 13, fixture day 21, if you lose one match and you're one of those four or five teams, it's fucking a travesty. It's a crisis. You're already in crisis mode. You just gave up potentially a six point swing because you lose three points. The other team wins three points versus the alternative. And if you're the middle of the table, you're always competing for something. You're trying to stay away from that troubled relegation-y kind of area, right? The bottom five or six where everybody's shitting their pants. And you're always maybe aspiring to maybe that fifth, sixth, or seventh spot where maybe you're in European competition and bonuses for everybody and career get made or destroyed if you make it or don't make it. Everybody's competing for something, Taylor, and every fixture counts. You shit your pants when you lose or even tie a game at home, no matter where you are on the table. And coaches' jobs are on the line. Executive jobs are on the line. Players' careers are on the line. None of that exists here, T. Some people might complain, say, what are you talking about, Gary? Yeah, look, we fire coaches in MLS. Yeah, look, players get benched or whatever. But the consequences aren't remotely, remotely as serious as over there, if that makes sense. It's a relative scale. You see, it's a relative skill. Sure, in MLS, if you score a shit ton of goals, your career gets elevated. And if you don't perform over 10, 15, 20 matches, okay, your career isn't really going anywhere, but it's not as serious as overseas. I don't know what else to say, Taylor. It's just not competitive. No, there's nothing left to say. Without this competitiveness, without this seriousness, all those fans that have grown to like the game of soccer they're going to go back to wherever they came from. They're going to go back to their original sport. In Europe, I mean, who wasn't watching Coventry United versus Luton Town in the final to reach the Premier League? So many people were watching that game, and they were in Wembley playing in the biggest stadium in England, told maybe 80,000, 90,000 people, and it was packed. It was packed. The second division teams had 40,000, 50,000 fans coming to the stadium to support their team, to... Watch a game where it was so exciting. Every touch was so important. Every goal was so important. And in the PKs, the guy who missed a PK, the reality is he cost his team a Premier League spot and $330 million, which you get if you reach the Premier League. So crazy. One PK, one shot cost that much. And in the MLS, you don't have anything like that. If you lose a game here, it's okay. We have next year, you have next week. If you don't make the playoffs one year, it's all right. We'll make the playoffs the next year, maybe. We'll try to compete for it. And like you said, the lowering of standards by doing not well one year and then maybe doing a little bit better the next year, just it pleases the fans. It makes it easy. Like, yeah, sorry to interrupt you. I can't help myself. LA Galaxy, and not to pick on them, I'm just from LA. Obviously, I'm from Southern California. Yeah. Obviously, Brian coached there for a number of years. Obviously, there's a relationship that exists there. But everybody knows of this story as well because they are dead last in the league, dead last in the league, nine points. I don't even know how many games they played already, 13, 14, 15, I've lost track. But the reality is 
if they, I don't know, win two or three games in the next four or five fixtures or something like that, oh, you're back in the playoff picture sort of thing because you only have to go from last to ninth place in a conference of whatever it is, 14 teams. What is that? You know, and any random team, I could get a USL team into the Galaxy's position right now. And a USL team can go on a two or three game winning streak or win two and tie one and lose one. And they'd be in the playoff picture as well in MLS. You know, so it mm-hmm. doesn't say much if, for instance, the Galaxy were to make the playoffs. But if they did, all of a sudden the fan base would be appeased. Oh, okay, cool. It looks like we've turned the ship. Everything's starting to work. What world are we living in? I'll tell you what world we're living in. They played the U.S. Open Cup match a week ago or something. I was at the match against LAFC. LAFC played basically their MLS Next team. It was a bunch of 17, 18-year-old kids out there. It was 0-0 at halftime. LAFC had plenty of opportunities. The Galaxy ended up winning 2-0 and advancing. From what I'm seeing, the fan base is all like happy and everything's all good now. It's fan- what? Like, this is the standard. This is the level of accountability that we've got that you happen to beat a bunch of 17 and 18 year olds and all of a sudden everything's fine and dandy again. It just took one game that looks like that for you guys to be satisfied. That is not competition, Taylor. How is everybody being pushed to the limit in our league when we have only those sorts of demands? I'll finish my last comment with this. It's a topic that I'm sensitive to. I'm sure you can tell. To tie it in with the broadcasters which is just kind of like that last mile to the fan base, right? There's the executives, there's the people behind closed doors, which don't talk to you and you don't see what they speak about. That's the top. That's the beginning of the chain, right? But the last mile is the broadcaster actually communicating to the audience. That's the last little tidbit of information. You see how it makes sense that they don't want people like me demanding people, soccer first households, in their stadiums or in their ecosystem. They want the person who is making a decision or the family is making a decision. Hey guys, should we go to the movies tonight? Should we go out and get a bite to eat or go to this concert? Or should we go to the MLS game? The soccer game is kind of mixed into this entertainment bucket of what should we do this weekend sort of thing. And then sometimes it gets picked. And then you go to have a little entertainment moment, you know, maybe drink a beer, have some nachos, have a hot dog, talk to your friend over here about your daughter's prom dress and how hard it was to shop for it while the game is actually going on in the fucking field. These are the conversations that are being had. They're not even watching the match. Okay. They're just having some sort of chit chat about an unrelated topic. They'll even be talking about other sports, Taylor, in the stands while the game is happening. They're not even paying attention. And they're saying, oh, yeah, Steph Curry. Wow, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, the fuck? What the fuck? That is who they want in their stadiums. Because then there is no accountability. It was just a night out with my buddies or a night out with my family. If the team wins, great. If the team loses, okay, fine. It's no big deal. If the team draws, oh, well, that's kind of a bummer. I wanted to see more goals or whatever. But they'll be there again next week or next month to have another beer and shoot the shit about the latest Tesla that, that got released. Yeah, and MLS partnered with Apple and they released a national broadcast for most of the games. But each team has their own set of commentators as well who broadcast on the local channels. And these commentators can advocate for the fans if they were to be critical. You look at the Galaxy specifically, who've won five championships in the MLS. The talk went from, when was the last time 
we won a championship, the talk went to, oh, we've made the playoffs, what, like two out of the last six years? You see the difference in accountability for the standards. And if the local commentators were advocating for higher standards, if the fans were advocating for higher standards, then the club will be forced to comply. And these commentators can be a voice for the fans, but they don't they don't want those type of fans and they don't choose to it sucks man it sucks everybody talks about diversity and inclusion and all these sorts of things but when the rubber meets the road they don't want that at all it's absolute nonsense they'll include you and they'll have diverse people or cultures included for sure if you're a very specific type of quote-unquote diverse person you see what i'm saying People of color, no problem. Latinos, no problem. Everybody's welcome. But in the fine print, it's so long as you are this type of non-demanding, non-hardcore, this is just entertainment. This is just the game, guys. Let's not take it too serious. If you're that type of person, you're welcome. If you're not, if you're like the rest of the world, you're not welcomed. It's selective, you see? Yeah. It is. The role of commentators recently in American media has been to grow the game, grow the number of people watching it, and bring in this specific type of people as well. Now, it should be how do we improve the level of the game? Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches, you can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. Lastly, if you're coaching 7v7, we've got you covered there as well. Go to 7v7coaching.com. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.